The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the harp. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. heaven, we come today to give you worship and honor and glory, to sing praises to your name, and to express the excellent greatness of who you are. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us by your Spirit, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that we would worship you in a way that is pleasing in your sight and glorifying to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, the Savior of sinners. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as one people with one voice to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Provide us the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. If you would like to, you can turn in the handle to page 845. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you, Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, turn in your hymnal to page 53. We're going to be singing together praise to the Lord, the Almighty. for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you. Thank you. So we're here this morning. We're still talking about the Apostles' Creed, and we're at the statement that we made this morning... If you remember, we recited together that Jesus Christ, we confess something about Him. 
we confess that we believe that He ascended into heaven. And I want to read some verses to you from Acts chapter 1, written by Luke. It says, Now when He had spoken these things, while they watched, He was taken up, and in a cloud He was received out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So when we confess on Sunday mornings that we believe Jesus ascended into heaven, does it mean that we believe his body and his spirit that he went into heaven just as they saw him? Is that what we confess? Yes, it is. That his body, just as they were looking at him, Jesus went into heaven. And what did the two men ask that I just read? The two men in white apparel. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand doing what? Gazing up. Gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus that you watched. So these people saw Jesus go into heaven. We confess we believe that he did. In a real body, he went into heaven just as they saw him. And what was the promise that the two men made? Do you remember? That just as they saw him go, one day he would what? He would come again. He would come down again. That's his promise to his people. That Jesus going, as he went, he promised he would never leave them. You remember the disciples heard that promise. And he even promised something even beyond what we can understand. Jesus said to the disciples before he left, he said, when I go, I will send a comforter to you. And it will be better for you that I send him to you than if I'm with you myself. Jesus promised that he would send his spirit to be in his people. That they would know what Jesus would have them do. And that they would understand and remember his word. Those were the promises of Jesus. So when we confess every Sunday morning that we believe Jesus ascended into heaven. At least those two things we should remember. That he's coming back one day. And he's coming for his people. That's a promise. And he promised that while he's gone, he would be making a place for us in heaven. And that he would send his spirit to guide you, to help you make decisions. And to help you as you read God's word, that you would know what it says. And that he would remind you of the truth as you go out in your life every day. That you'd be reminded this is what God's word says. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for our covenant children. I thank you for the truth that we confess, that we believe the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God did in His body ascend into heaven. And that right now He is in heaven at the place of authority at the right hand of God the Father. Lord, I can I pray and confess that I don't understand how this is possible, but I do, Lord, understand that Your Word says it and that we're to believe it. I pray for our covenant children, Lord, that this would be solid in their minds. That all the things they might hear in the world today, that the Bible is old or that Jesus isn't really real, that they wouldn't believe it that they would see and hear the Word of God and they would hold these truths in their hearts. Lord, I pray that You would keep them in Your care by Your Spirit, that You would keep Your covenants to them as You do to their parents. And Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading Psalm 86. It's on page 814 in your hymnal.
Psalm 86 on page 814 in your hymnal. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. It says, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. One of the things that we confess as we read God's Word or we must acknowledge in our hearts is that some of these statements about loving the Lord and serving Him alone are things that we have to confess are not true in our hearts. We don't love Him alone. We don't walk in His ways only. And so as we sing and as we worship today, we worship with the reality that we need a Savior. We need the Lord Jesus. So as we sing praises to Him now, you have an insert in your bulletin. Let's stand together and sing the hymn one day.
that we support here at Lebanon, but I also wanted to lift up and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering and struggling and want to serve the Lord and are doing so at great personal risk and harm to themselves, and particularly pray for our brothers and sisters and missionaries in the country of the Ukraine. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, we pray to you, believing and knowing according to your word that you hear your children when they cry out to you in prayer. And we lift up our voices to you now as a church family here, praying for our missionaries, those who we support with money from our offerings, that they would go and proclaim the gospel around the world. Lord, I do pray for Roger and Laura Dye that you would bless them in the work that they are doing here in the United States. Lord, I pray that you would use their work to spread the testimony of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to others who don't know you. Lord, I pray that you would bless their work that they do, that they would have great joy and satisfaction as they serve you. And Lord, I do also lift up and pray for missionaries in our denomination and in other denominations who are serving in the Ukraine in a place that is very different than it was even a few months ago. And how it seems that the door for the spread of the gospel is opening wider than maybe it was before. And that people whose hearts were cold towards the gospel, that they are able to listen and hear now. And they're willing to receive the word of God and willing to listen to discussions about the Bible and answer questions. Lord, I pray for your people that you would give them great wisdom. And as they see such a a great work in front of them, Lord, I pray that they would not try to look within themselves to find the strength to do the work that you've called them to. Help them, Lord, to cling to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that by your Spirit they would do the work that you have given them to do. Lord, I pray that you would protect them from evil, from those who would want to do them harm, those that would want to silence them and keep them from spreading the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would keep them healthy and strong, that they would have all the resources they need to do the work that you've given them to do. And Lord, now I do pray for our own church family here as we think about one another and wanting to be encouraged and built up in the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would work the gospel into our soul this morning. And if our hearts are cold and resistant to you, Lord, I pray that you would break down those barriers, that you would move the scales from our eyes and the hardness of our hearts, that we would see and hear and believe the Lord Jesus as he is offered to us in the gospel this morning. Lord, I pray for those in our midst and in our church community here who are struggling with mental or physical ailments, that you would be with them by your Spirit, that they would have a sense even now this morning of our prayers for them. I pray for those who are struggling with long-term sickness, where they don't see an end in sight, and where they cannot see that life will ever go back to the way it was before. I pray for those who are not able to be here today because of this, and I pray, Lord, that you would give them wonderful grace from your hand that you would be the one to sustain them and provide for them and give them hope, Lord, that even if they don't see healing and wholeness in this life, that one day the Lord Jesus is coming and He will call them home and there will be no more sickness or pain or sorrow or crying, that one day they will be made whole again apart from sin. Lord, we hope in this. We look for You to deliver Your people. And Lord, we pray that by Your Spirit that You would pour out Your Spirit on us now that as we open Your Word, as we read the Bible, that we would take it as the true, living, unchanging Word of God that is the power unto salvation. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the Old Testament book of Ruth, chapter 3. We're going to be reading this morning Ruth, chapter 3, verses 6 to 18. Ruth, chapter 3, verses 6 to 18. This is the Word of the Lord. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, 
he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovering his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a closer relative than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, then good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley, and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today in our series, Searching for a Redeemer, we finish Ruth chapter 3 and see that God is faithful in the everyday details of our lives. Naomi's once cold heart has been warmed to the gospel as she saw all the signs of her life and Ruth's life coming together, pointing to a possible marriage for Ruth, this woman who was a widow. And Ruth obeyed Naomi, as we saw last week. She heard all the instructions of her mother-in-law. It doesn't say that she questioned it. In fact, she said, all that you say to me to do, I will do. She took the risk, great personal risk, upon herself, and she went to the threshing floor under the cover of darkness at night. What Ruth did was unconventional and certainly took Boaz by surprise when he woke up that night at midnight. As his feet were cold, as the breeze was blowing over them, there was somebody laying at his feet. And in their conversations and in their actions that night at the threshing floor, they demonstrate the integrity of believers who live their life standing before God, even if it is dark. And Ruth finds out two things that we see in this passage. First, that Boaz loves her. And He will redeem her. He will do what she's asking. But also, there is a closer relative. And chapter 3 ends with a true need for faith and hope and trust that God will do all that He says He will do. So first, as we look at this passage, we'll do so under three headings. I want to talk about it in three different categories. First, a conversation at midnight in verses 9 through 11. Secondly, integrity before the Lord in verses 12 and 13. And lastly, number three, strengthen in waiting. The sermon this morning is entitled A Marriage Proposal Part 2. We started the first last week. So, point number one, a conversation at midnight in verse 9. Very matter-of-factly, as Boaz wakes up, his 
feet are cold because Ruth has uncovered his feet. We learned last week. And as he wakes up at midnight when the breeze would have been blowing across the threshing floor, he wakes up, his feet are cold. Who are you? Who is this laying here? Nobody was here when I laid down. And she responds, I am your maidservant, Ruth. Would you spread your garment over me and cover me with your wings? This is a marriage proposal. She's asking him to do everything that a kinsman redeemer was to do for someone who was a widow like her. She says, I am your maidservant, Ruth. This is one of the first times in this book that she has been referred to as Ruth, a woman standing on her own two feet. She's been Ruth the Moabitess or Ruth the daughter-in-law of Naomi who came back from Moab. But here we see she says, I am Ruth. I am eligible. I have the, the authority to be able to be here and I'm asking you to do the duty that a close relative is supposed to do. This is a transformation in her life. This woman was living in the land of Moab when Naomi and Elimelech left Bethlehem during the Great Famine. She was a Moabitess. She lived there. She was with her family. She worshipped their gods. She was known to God's people in Bethlehem as a foreigner, as a daughter-in-law of Naomi, as a widow. Now she is an eligible daughter of Israel and she's here to see if God will be faithful. And how does Boaz answer? He doesn't say, well, what's the big idea? Why are you here? Why would you put me in this situation? Who sent you? What are you doing, Ruth? This isn't what I expected from you. No, he doesn't say those things. He says, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. He had blessed her in chapter 2 as well. He had said to her that she was blessed of the Lord, the God of Israel, because she had been kind to Naomi when she decided to turn her back on her own family, to leave the land that she had called home, and to be faithful to Naomi and take care of her, an elderly woman who had no hope of getting another husband and didn't have any sons because they had died while they were in the land of Moab. He said, you are blessed of the Lord, and may He take care of you under whose wings you have gone for shelter. And here He is, it seems answering the prayer that he prayed that God would bless her. He is acting the prayer on her behalf. She is a true Israelite. God is caring for her. The very mention of God, the covenant name of God here in this passage, speaks to it. Even though it is indirect, it speaks to the fact that God Himself is the one who orchestrated this episode at midnight at the threshing floor. He then specified her praiseworthiness. He tells her why he thinks she is such a special lady by making a comparison. He says this last act of kindness. Well, what specifically was it? What act of kindness did she do? Was it simply because she did what she was told? She knew how to be obedient? She had learned that at least from her parents? No. What Ruth did when she said, Would you please cover me with your wings? She is saying, Would you please do the duty of a close relative? Let me serve as a mom and a wife to you and to the children that the Lord may bless us with, that I might be a blessing to my mother-in-law, Naomi, who has no hope of having an heir. Elimelech's house will go away. It will be extinct unless the Lord blesses this. But I want to do that. Would you allow me to do that? Would you be the kinsman redeemer that you are to be for our family? Will you take care of us? And he says, this has exceeded her earlier kindness of abandoning a life that she had, a life of comfort and predictability. What this deed did was impressive to him. And it's impressive because she took the familial obligation to Naomi on herself. There was no legal 
or law of God reason why she had to do this. She took it upon herself out of her own free will. For Ruth, this wasn't something extraordinary. Boaz, look at me. I'm doing this so you'll notice me, so you'll watch me, so you'll love me and care for me. No, she's doing this because this is just another step along the path of obeying the voice of the Lord and her commitment to Naomi. We saw it previously in how she went out and gleaned of her own free will and in submitting to Naomi's plan to go at night and take great personal risk for herself. And thirdly, in this conversation at midnight, what does Boaz say to her? Do not fear, in verse 11. He says, I accept your proposal. I'll do what you ask. And you, Ruth, are a worthy woman. You're a virtuous woman. Everyone knows. Earlier in the story, we learned about Boaz, that he's a man of standing, that he has a good reputation among the people in the city of Bethlehem. We've seen the great means that he has. He was very lavish in how he blessed her with grain and protection. That he kept the people away from her. And so no harm would come to her. He even instructed his young men himself. When normally those instructions would have come through a foreman. He told them himself, don't let anything happen to her and you don't do anything to her. And by the way, don't even say anything to her. She's here because I'm sending her. I'm taking care of her. He is a man of great character. And we heard about his character, and now what is he praising Ruth for? Her character and virtue. Now he knows that the word on the street about Ruth, it's not just what he saw. He knows that what other people are saying about her, and her character is true. She is a worthy woman of genuine spiritual substance. There's more than what might be outward beauty to Ruth. There is an inner character, an inner love for God that is displayed in how she acts. This is the same language that's used in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 31, of a virtuous woman. Her inner beauty exceeds anything on the outside and lasts far longer than anything on the outside will. She has high character. And Boaz is saying, I value what your friendship and love might mean to me more than I value anything else. Can it be that in you I have discovered the Lord's purpose for me? That this is the reason why He has brought me here where we are today. And why He ordered it such that you would come into my field of all places. When you could have gone anywhere else after the Lord blessed us with rain. You gleaned in my field. You asked my foreman, could I go and take what the reapers have left? So point number one, a conversation at midnight. This is swimming, going along swimmingly. It seems like the next thing we will hear are wedding bells chiming in the distance. In verses 12 and 13, we see integrity before the Lord. Jonathan Edwards made a commitment as a young man. He wrote several resolve statements. One of them that he wrote was resolved. Never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. In his commentary on the book of Ruth, Sinclair Ferguson asked the question, what is the chief goal of life? What is the chief goal of life for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? In our Westminster Shorter Catechism question, it asks, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We see integrity before the Lord with these two people who belong to the Lord in this situation. We see from Boaz and Ruth, both of them, poise. This was an opportunity if Ruth got nervous, if she said, well, I'm not enough. I'm going here This question I'm going to ask, it's not enough. The only way that I'm going to get this man 
to be my husband is if maybe I take matters into my own hands. Maybe it would be better if I tried to get him to sleep with me and make me pregnant. Then he'll be bound to do it because no one would want that scandal. But she doesn't do it. And maybe for Boaz, here he is in the middle of night. He is a man of authority and standing. Who would question his integrity? Here's this young woman, a Moabitess. She's a foreigner. He could take advantage of her. And if it's his word against her word, surely the people in town, knowing his integrity, would side with him. But both of them act with poise. Neither one of them give in to taking a route other than how God had chosen to work this out for them. They saw what was taking place as from the Lord. The poise that we see from both of them is not something that is in us or in them by their own nature. In fact, the Bible says the very opposite. That if we were in this situation, maybe we would choose differently. But by the grace of God in us. But by the grace of God in them, they chose to walk in integrity before Him. They chose not to give in to their sin nature. And it comes from a life that's been transformed by meditating on God's Word alone, a mind that had been renewed, and an unbending commitment to please God above all things, believing and trusting that His ways are the best, and that the grace of God is in our lives to enable us to live this way. We don't live this way on our own. We can't do this by our own strength. It's not possible. Our strengths are too weak for us. Our weaknesses are too strong for us. They will overcome us. It's not possible to live a life pleasing to the Lord apart from His grace. You will wear yourself out doing it. You can't. So we see them living with integrity before the Lord. And here Boaz tells the truth in the dark. He says, I am a close relative, but there's a closer relative than me. Boaz refused to have a casual relationship with the truth. He refused to say, well, yeah, there's a technicality. No, he's very honest. He says, yes, there is someone who's closer. He confirmed what she was claiming. Her her claim to him, even though it was private between them, had significant public impact. And she says, yes, it's true. He says, yes, it's true. I will fulfill it, but there's somebody else. There's another man, and he doesn't name him. He doesn't say who it is. And you kind of wonder if Ruth's heart drops here. Like, oh shoot. In all the things that mom told me, she didn't tell me this. In all the instructions she gave about getting cleaned up and putting on nice clothes and perfume, she didn't bother to tell me that, by the way, it might come up that there's another man. Oh shoot. Or did I go to the wrong man's feet in the middle of the night? No, that's not what happened. And what is Boaz doing? Why does he tell her this? She would have followed whatever he said. That was part of the instruction from Naomi. He'll tell you what to do. What Boaz is doing is protecting her honor and her future so that whatever happens and whatever status and standing she gains in their community because of this relationship, it will never be questionable. It will always be able to stand up under the scrutiny of the the legal ways of their society at that time. It would not be obtained, at least with his involvement, by some underhanded way or scheme that would look like he was trying to make things work out for his benefit. He was protecting her as much as he was protecting himself. And with the significant obstacle in the way, this other man who we don't know who he is, with this unnamed Redeemer in the mix now, the writer of the book of Ruth wants us to see and to know that if Boaz and Ruth marry, it will be because God's divine providence must be responsible for it. 
It is not that the, the circumstances of their life fell out this way and it just happened to be that they were able to get married or maybe there's some technicality that would keep this other Redeemer out of the equation that He would be somehow disqualified. No, it would happen on purpose because God was ordering the steps of their life. And He does that for His children. And then He says to her, living in integrity before the Lord, Boaz says to her, stay the night. Remember, He told her, don't fear. I'm sure she was trembling when she got to the threshing floor that night. And she was doing her best not to be noticed by him or maybe pointed out by anyone else. And he says, don't fear. This godly man had provided her protection during the day when everyone could see, when everyone would know that what was happening to her was under his authority. So nobody messed with her. Nobody bothered her during the day. And here he is living before the Lord saying, don't go back home now. The drunkards and other people who had spent the night rejoicing, they would be the ones after you. You stay here, I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. I'll honor the dignity that God has made you in. And I won't do anything that would harm you. And I'll send you home whole in the morning. And so when she wakes up before anybody could recognize anyone else, she gets up and he says, bring your shawl here. And he takes six measures of barley. Now we discussed ephahs a few weeks ago. And I don't believe that this measure here is an ephah. Because an ephah, would have, this would have been an exorbitant amount of weight. There's no way that she was going to carry hundreds of pounds of grain. But I believe this was a sia, a third of an ephah. So maybe she had maybe 100, 120 pounds on her back. And it says that when she brought the shawl to him, that he filled it with six measures of the barley. And then it says he set it on her. Ruth was no twig in the wind. She was a strong woman. And she carried it all the way home. And I don't think it's because she was bent over or hobbled over that Naomi asked, Is that you, my daughter? I think she knew no one else would be walking through town with that much grain coming into her home. I think she's asking the same question that Boaz was asking. Who are you? Who is this Ruth? Who is this Ruth that God has brought into my life? I still don't know if I believe and understand everything that you represent in my life. And she was also asking, who are you? Are you the fiancé of our close relative Boaz, or aren't you? Was he a faithful man that I believe I knew who he was? Or was he different? Who are you, Ruth? This was significant. The ongoing theme of this book, Boaz tells her, we learn later, Boaz told Ruth, don't go home empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Don't go home to Naomi with nothing. One of the ongoing themes of this book from chapter 1, verse 21, that Naomi said when she came back to Bethlehem, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for God has made me bitter. I went out full, and he brought me home empty. And here, I believe Boaz is acting on behalf of God's grace in his life. He knows, he gets it. He heard the words that Naomi had said to other people. You went out empty. But you went out full and came back empty. I want you to be overwhelmingly sure with your mother-in-law that God is providing. He is doing everything that He promised He would do to take care of His children. And the writer of the book of Ruth deliberately wants us to see the overwhelming amount. Can you imagine a woman carrying over 100 pounds of grain and it not being obvious when she walked in the door? Or a man even, for that fact. And she walks in with it. And here it is, Mom. Can you believe it? Oh, and by the way, you didn't tell me about that other man. And what does Naomi say to her? Lastly, waiting and getting strength. Waiting and getting strength. She says to her in verse 11, sit still. 
And I want to talk with you in the time that we have left this morning about patience in waiting. Doing things that might seem awkward or out of place, that seem like to many of us like wasting daylight and good energy to wait before the Lord. What does it mean to wait before Him? That's exactly what Naomi was giving in her instruction. She said, you sit and wait. He will not rest until this matter is resolved. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 33 verses 20 to 22, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. Let Your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in You. What are some objections in your heart to waiting on the Lord? Lazy people wait. God helps those who help themselves. Ruth only waited one day. You're not talking about more than that. Naomi told her, you're going to wait a day. This man's not going to rest until it's taken care of. Waiting is is not a few things also. It's not an excuse to sit down and do nothing. Well, if God doesn't bring it into my life, it won't happen. But I'm not going to lift a hand. I'm not going to do anything. I won't pray. I won't serve. If there's a need in front of me, if God doesn't move me into it, I won't do it. It's not an excuse to sit and do nothing. And it's not fatalism either. Well, this is where God has me. Nothing can change. Nothing's going to get better. I'm just left alone. And that would have been, it would have been easy to see how Naomi could be that way. And maybe there were some days when she was a bitter lady. And it was hard to be a a daughter-in-law to this woman after being out working all day and sweating and here here is Ruth bringing in all this wonderful grain that she's been blessed with. And there's Naomi. And maybe she was bitter for a while. Maybe she was. These terms about waiting and rest are often misunderstood as something passive. As activities that one does instead of engaging in more fruitful or active activities. But to wait on the Lord is not to just do nothing. To hope is not merely to close one's eyes and accept what comes next. It must be for me. They are aggressive verbs in the theological sense that to hope in the Lord's covenant love for His people is actively to place oneself's identity and future in God's hands. To wait on the Lord is to look confidently for God to give the deliverance He promises and to expect that deliverance to come. I hope in it, and I know it's coming, because He promised it, and He will give it. God's people hear what He says and believe that He will do what He says. Having to wait, and learning what strength is by waiting, Ruth had to learn that she has to hold her life with an open hand. And this is an ongoing activity for all of us as believers. Don't grasp your own life too tightly, dear believer. It's not yours to hold like that. You're not writing the story. You are living it. God is the one writing it. He is making the left turns and the right turns. He's the one providing the opportunities. He is asking you to walk in faith with Him and hold tight sometimes. Sit still. Wait for Him to show you where to go. The biblical antidote for faint-heartedness and weariness And isn't that what many of us do with our lives? We get so anxious and so worried. I don't see a solution. I don't know what I'm going to do. And we get ourselves worked up into a frenzy and we're exhausted. The biblical antidote to faint-heartedness and weariness is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who endured hostility for us. And I believe that's what Ruth learned in that day. When Naomi told her to sit still, I believe she was left with her thoughts. The, The night 
previous was running through her mind. But after that energy wore off, I believe she had to spend some time sitting before the Lord. Will you be faithful? Will you be good? Will you do everything that you can to take care of me? I have risked everything to be honorable to you and to Boaz and to my mother-in-law, who I promised to be with for the rest of my life. The biblical antidote to faint-heartedness and weariness is to fix our eyes on the one who endured hostility, who endured the cross in order to obtain the joy that was set before Him. I want to speak for just a couple moments about Jesus and how Jesus is in and through and under and around this story. Boaz told Ruth that there was a closer Redeemer. And I believe there was a closer Redeemer even still. The ongoing tension of this book is that the characters in this love story are not just the ones that we see in front of us. It's easy to see Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and the other people and whoever this mystery man is. It's easy to see them in the story because they're the ones acting. They're the ones talking. They're the ones taking steps and moving places. What's not so easy to see always is how God is working in and around and through all of these things. The Redeemer... The one who would take care of Ruth for all of her life. He is the one who's ordering these things. The enduring timeless story of God's love for His people is the theme of this book. It is not a love story between Ruth and Boaz, though that is part of it. What we see is the enduring story of this book in the Bible is God's love for His people. That He cares for them. It is mind-boggling to think about this. Because the Bible is the story of God loving His people who the Bible calls straying sheep. And though He loves us, our love for Him is imperfect at best. It's not what He deserves. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. You didn't show up at church this morning because you love Jesus. You showed up this morning because your heart was drawn here because He loves you. It's His love first that draws us to Him. If we're honest, we would say we love Him a bit on our best days. We're not completely devoted to Him. And yet we see that in this passage. He is the one who's devoted to us. It is the love of God that prevented Him from simply ending it when Adam and Eve sinned against Him in the garden. It was the love that He had for them that He called and chose Abraham and then persisted in pursuing His rebellious children one generation after the next. It is the love of God that would not let them go in spite of centuries of rebellion and idolatry. This love is what causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on God's people. And it is what causes us to have daily food and clothing. It is not our hard work. It is the love of a heavenly Father who will not let us go. In His providence, His love may bring us good friends or a spouse who loves us and loves the Lord. He may give us children or He may take them away. All of those things. For all of these good things, it is God's love that we should be thankful for. This love took its fullest shape in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. His love for us went much further and risked much more than going to a grain pile at midnight. It caused Him to leave the glories of heaven and come down and live as an ordinary worker. It led Him to come as a baby in Bethlehem where He found no refuge That's the tension of this story. Will Ruth find a refuge? Jesus came knowing He would not have one. He said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. And unlike Ruth, there was no place for rest for Him in Bethlehem, the city of bread. 
There was no godly Boaz to protect him. Instead, he had to make do with a temporary place in a stable. And before he had even grown up a little bit, he had to flee for his life as a baby and run to Egypt. This love caused Jesus to abandon His eternal glory and become a servant, someone who had no reputation, who was despised and rejected by men. This same love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ took Him all the way to the cross. There in the midst of the deepest darkness that any person would ever experience, darker than any ordinary midnight that you may be up pacing the floor, He offered Himself up for the sins of His people. There He was abandoned by God the Father who turned aside His face because He could not look upon the sin of ours that was placed upon Him on the cross. He was disfigured because He bore our sin. Jesus didn't just risk His life like Ruth did that night. He gave it willingly. He laid it down. Why? Because of His love for His own glory and His desire to save a people for His own pleasure. Jesus desired and enjoyed despising the cross and the shame that came along with it, that He might deliver to Himself a people. And because He loved His Father and desired to do everything that His Father wanted Him to do. This should remove all doubt for God's people. Are you a person who doubts the love of God? The extent of His love is vividly displayed in the person and work of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, our Savior, the true Savior of sinners. There is no other, dear people, The question that you need to answer today is, do you know this love of God in Christ Jesus? Not, do you believe in Jesus? I'm not asking, do you believe that Jesus is real? But have you abandoned every other hope in the world? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in His substitutionary work to pay for your sins? The Bible says that either Jesus paid for your sins or you will. There's not another option. And the Bible says that Jesus does this for those who cling to Him by faith, not by people working hard and hoping to earn His love. He says, you accept My love because I give it freely. You don't earn it. It's a gift. It's not labor and payment like an employee. You don't work for God. You glorify Him. You don't earn anything from Him. You accept gifts because He is a loving and good Savior. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you've not trusted Him by faith, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. This is the Jesus we read about in this book of Ruth. He is the one who's ordering the steps of their life. Do you believe today that He's ordered yours to be here? That you would hear the Gospel? That you would be confronted with your own need for Him? And if you've not trusted in Him, I don't mean made a decision for Christ, I mean trusted in Him and abandoned everything else, then today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. He is the only Savior of sinners, and you're not promised tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this Word. This Word that You give us through people who wrote down what You told them to write. We believe that this is the Word of God. There is no other book like it. Lord, I pray that You would work it into our hearts that we would believe it by faith. And as we have gathered as Your people today to worship You, to raise up the name of our Savior, Lord, help us not to be so close to seeing You and yet still missing You. Open our eyes, open our hearts that we would see and hear and believe. Cause us to repent, give us faith. Those are Your gifts. We can't do them on our own. We pray, Lord, that You would meet us that You would encourage our hearts. Lord, I pray for those here who are believers. 
that they would remember and have rekindled in their heart a belief and faith that you do what you promise to do. You are working in this story in the life of Ruth and Boaz. Lord, may we be reminded as your children that you are working in our lives just as you did in theirs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship, singing hymn number 499, Rock of Ages.
Father, we thank You for this time to be able to offer to You the tithes and offerings that You tell us to give in faith, believing that You will provide for us. Lord, we dedicate this offering to You that You would use it for the spread of the Gospel, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be spread not only throughout South Carolina, but throughout the world, that lost people who do not know You would hear the Gospel because of our obedience to give as Your Word commands. And Lord, we look to You to provide for us the needs that we have, that we would see You being faithful, just as You have always been to Your people. As Your Word says, I have been young and now I am old and I have not seen the righteous forsaken or His seed begging bread. May we continue to see Your faithfulness in our own day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. benediction i want to pray for our meal next door again if you didn't bring anything or didn't know that today was fifth sunday please don't let that keep you from staying stay and enjoy the meal i'll pray for us and then we'll have our benediction and dismissal father thank you for this fifth sunday that we mark to set to enjoy together to see again your faithfulness to us as your people by granting fellowship and time around the table together I pray that you would bless our celebration today with Miss Gay Campbell. And Lord, I pray that it would be a day that we all remember of your love and faithfulness to her and to us through her. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord from Numbers chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put My name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen.